friends, thank you for watching The Source. I have a wonderful guest today who's the role model on how to change your life. He's gone from being Sharif to being Mordechai Yosef. He's gone from the Kardashians to Kabbalah, from the West Coast to the Western Wall. Really honored to introduce Rav Mordechai Yosef Ben Avraham. Rabbi, thank you so much for your time. Really, it's an honor, like I said. It took some time to get here, but we've reached our destination. Thank you for having me uh, on this uh, amazing podcast uh, conversation, you know, you have, you've been doing, and, um, you know, I really, you know, just really appreciate being here. Rabbi, you've been through many lives, many incarnations. I'm looking at your journey, and you had many titles. You have a long resume. You were born in Los Angeles. You were a film producer, you were a social media expert, a clothing designer, a fashion journalist, a music promoter. You actually even ran for Congress. So you have a really long resume. And a lot of people would say, I mean, some would say that you've lived the American dream. You are the American dream. And yet it wasn't enough. You put all that on the shelf because you found Judaism, it appealed to you in a way that all those other things couldn't. You converted, you became Jewish, now you live in Israel. And Rabbi, I need to ask you, how the heck did you get there? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's a question I'm still trying to figure out. Like I wake up sometimes and I'm just like, how did this happen? Like, how did I get here, you know? So I have that moment um, a lot in uh, life in general. And, um, you know, the thing is, is, you know, how did I get here? You know, I, I think, I think years well, ago, how like, the why? Say it again. How and the why? You know, I, I like, I, you know, the thing is, like, I really, you, know, you really look at like the whole construct, like how, you know, um, a person gets to a particular point in life, you know, no matter what it is, you know, you have to look at the, the context. And I think, you know, a lot of it has to do with the religious freedoms that exist in America and how that openness affected a lot of the desires of African-Americans to want to seek truth, right? Because much of the reality that, um, you know, they were given, you know, in America was, you know, under a specific construct, you know, and, and, and and I to want to understand, you know, the the meaning behind things and the truth behind things. And I know this is what I'm being told, but what's really what else is going on? That that desire, I think, I kind of, as you can hear the sirens in the background, you know, um, I think that desire is something that like I inherited, and and I think in my particular generation under the social you know, conditions that, you know, um, you know, I grew up underneath allowed me to, you know, really pursue uh, Judaism and pursue the Torah. Okay, so from what I read, you went to school with the Kardashians. You were, I think, only three African-Americans in your school, in a very white school, very affluent school. I think it was just you and your brother among the three. And... Where does Judaism come into all of this? With all of its rules, you had all this freedom. You had all of America and all of its opportunities before you. And then you just pivoted, which is strange because even Jews within Judaism don't pivot to keep more commandments, to keep the Torah. 
And you were living a life where there were a lot of other pervasive and persuasive things that could throw you in another direction completely. And certainly, there are much better advertisements on TV than, hey, become Jewish. So, why? I think, you know, I think in the question, you really gave, like, like a really, like, amazing answer. It's like, the fact that I grew up affluent, right? Like, everybody wants to, you know, want to make money. Everyone wants to be recognized. Everybody wants to have a certain level of influence. You know, all these different things. Like, this is what we want, right? And the, the root of it, if we're totally honest with the, the root of why we want these things is because we feel once we obtain them, we're going to be fulfilled, right? We're going to be fulfilled. Like, once I do this, I'm going to be happy. Once I make this amount of money, I'm going to be happy. Once I have this car, I'm going to be happy. Once I have this new iPhone, you know, I'm going to be happy. But we live in these frame of desires. If I, when I just have my coffee, I'm going to be happy, right? We have this, and we live in this way. When we live in this way, and the thing is, it's saying that when you grow up in that and you experience it, and you're like, wait, I'm here, but I'm, but I, but I, but I, I'm this, this, what they said was going to make me happy isn't actually making me happy. Living in this environment isn't necessarily making me happy. You know, having these material things isn't necessarily making me happy. And it's just like, oh, wow. Okay. So, I mean, th that doesn't mean they don't have pleasure connected to them and there's not experience connected to them but it's short-lived right and so you start to ask yourself you said say well if society is telling me that if i get these particular things and i'm gonna and this gonna make me happy then i achieve these things and then they don't fill up they don't live up to the promise then what's the purpose of life then why am I here? What's the purpose? Like, what, what, what is this whole thing about? You know, like, why is the world designed the way that it is? Why is the earth round? You know, whatever. The point is just saying, like, these, these things. And so, um, you know, I was introduced to spirituality from a Jewish standpoint through the Kabbalah Center in Los Angeles. And, and it just, it came in, like, in a random set of experiences. I met someone who was going there, whatever. But a lot of the questions that many of the Kabbalists in a, in a, in a deep esoteric thinkers uh, of, the, of the Jewish people, those questions were things that were very deep inside of my, my heart and my soul, you know, and, and, and the pursuit for those questions and the different technologies like, like uh, Shabbat and, and, and tefillah praying and, and, and tefillin, you know, things we wrap, all these things that we do, the holidays, you know, eating culture, all these things are all tools to bring us closer to God, to, to that truth. Not like this person, you know, but like an actual truth of clarity. And um, well, you're speaking about it in terms of a technology, and I'm just wondering why you would use that phraseology. I mean, when I think of Shabbat or Judaism, I don't think of it as a technology as you do. So I think often as technology, like my Alexa, I plug it in. I say, Alexa, play Bon Jovi for me. So. Why is Judaism a technology? Well, exactly. You, you actually gave the answer in your point. It's like you're saying that like a technology is like you say like, you know, something's plugged in and then you say, hey, I want to hear Bon Jovi, right? But it's not like you just want to hear Bon Jovi. You want to connect the feeling of the, of the song 
the, the feeling that you get from the song that Bon Jovi made, right? It's not just the song, it's the feeling of the song, right? So that technology allows you to plug into that experience. So in terms of the idea of peace and the idea of renewal, God created this technology called Shabbat that we, that we have all these specific things that we plug in with. And the things that we plug in with, the things that we, the things that we plug in with, you know, allow us to connect our soul, our mind, our heart, our body into this experience of Shabbat, this experience of Manuka, this experience of rest. And so we're able to plug into that and then, and then experience this like amazing elevated spiritual experience on what would be a Saturday, Friday evening type of thing. This process of maybe becoming Jewish, and by the way, did your whole family become Jewish? Or just you? I know no, you, no, no. you have a brother. The sister, yeah, I have, I have three brothers and one sister is five of us total. Uh, my, I, you know, converted like in 2013, so it's been, you know, a little bit of almost, you know, like a decade. Exactly. So, I survived. And so, um, and then my sister, um, she actually, her and her husband did a conversion um, earlier this year. And so they converted too, but they're in Atlanta. I don't have any, I didn't have anything to do with it. It's just, you know. Um, That's what you think. Well, I, I'm saying obviously, like my, my 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 experience, but they were also came through the Kabbalah Center too. It wasn't just me; my whole family eventually came, and it was a whole big experience. So, it's actually interesting. And to insert myself, and I don't usually do that in an interview, but I grew up in a Jewish family, but we weren't religious at all. And then one day, some people from the Kabbalah Center, some emissaries from there, came along with a whole bunch of books to sell, and I grew up learning that, you know, if Jews come to your house or they're asking for a donation, that you have to give. So they show up at my house, I buy the books, I'm heading straight toward the garbage, about to throw it in, except I take a quick peek and I'm like, you know what, hmm, this is interesting. So I sit down in the kitchen, start reading, it makes its way up to my room, and the rest is history. And that book actually and the Kabbalah Center were also responsible for me making tshuva, for being about tshuva. So we have a lot in common, more than you know, but I'll say that for off the record. So well, you had a hard life, right? You went out, you had fun, you went dancing, you're a good looking man, you were young. What was hard to give up? What was really the, the hardest thing to let go of? You, you know the thing I was thinking about the other day, I was thinking about like, like when you think about it, because, you know, it's, it's a lot of talk of, like, you know, we're in wars and we're in wars right now. And you hear a lot of talk about, like, nuclear warfare and all these, like, random types of things. And you think about, like, if you were, like, if someone was, like, the president of a country or, like, say you're the president of the United States, there's, like, 70, if not over 100 nuclear warheads pointed at your country. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and you wake up to that reality and 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 that reality is is part of everything else that you're dealing with right you are in charge of the situation and it has all these different dynamics or like a person is a billionaire right they're a billionaire and people know about it whatever there's a lot of things that they worry about they worry about people trying to kidnap him and 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 this and all these different challenges people lawsuits all these different things it's a different 
it's a different type of, of reality, you know, that's, that's based around, um, that's based around the, the circumstance, right? And so I think like becoming Jewish is not so much about losing anything as it is, as it is about like elevating into reality and taking on a, a new set of responsibilities, right? Because now, like, you know, when you become Jewish, it's not just like, oh, like, you know, like, you know, like people convert to Islam, people convert to Christianity, you know, people convert to a lot of other things, right? There's all types of ceremonies that, you know, allow people to now be identified in particular groups. But converting to Judaism is not about, you know, converting to Judaism. Judaism is something that you know was really manifested in this completion you know after the destruction of the second temple you know in babylon you know and when we were able to organize our talmud in these different things but this spiritual idea that that moshe was on mount sinai bringing down this existed since the beginning of time since adam since adam rishon to noah to 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 Abraham, you know, to Yitzhak, Jacob, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah all, all the way to Yosef, right? To to Moshe Rabbeinu, and so this thing has been going on forever. And so when I, as a human being, take myself and I plug myself into that spiritual reality that's been going on since the beginning of the, t the beginning of time, I become one with the Jewish people, right? And so it's not just like this idea, like I joined a club or anything like that. My whole essence of who I am, the, 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 the time that I function on is different. My, my physical anatomy had to be changed. You know, my eating, my dietary, my, you know, my ambitions, my motive, everything about who you are changes because the Jewish people are, are, are different. Hashem made it in a way that we're different and distinct than all the other nations in the world, right, for various reasons. And so when a person joins that nation, they're taking themselves out of the collective and putting themselves into the specific. Okay, so it sounds to me like first thing when you are committing yourself to a Jewish Orthodox life, you need to let go of your ego. So having done that, the things that you might have missed actually were just not there anymore. And I can relate because I was not religious. As I mentioned, I became religious. And, you know, when I look back on certain things, I, maybe I miss it, but you can't really because you're now functioning on a new level of existence. You know, once I wore clothing that were different as a woman than I would wear now. And I look at old pictures, I think like, wow, I look good, but I can't wear that anymore. And I wouldn't wear that anymore because Judaism and the Torah puts it all in a new perspective. Um, is there anything about you that you look at in those old pictures? You look at the old life and say, hey, you know, I was, I was a dude, I was hot, and like you really miss it. Is there anything you miss? Not really. I, I feel like I'm doing everything that I did before, but like advanced. Okay, I like that answer. It's great. You know, like I'm saying, like, I, I, like, like for example, like if a person, when people, when people make money, right, when you make money, you you eat different, right? Like you go out, you you eat at different restaurants. You eat like when you. I mean, everyone has those times and appearance when they're just making a lot of money, you know. And it's like they just get into this place where it's like, 
you like you, everything has to be fresh. Everything has to be this, and you only want specific things or whatever. So it's just it's more it's more like like I'm eating. I'm just eating at a higher level. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm eating at a higher level. Like I'm I'm eating. Like do I miss other food? If the food was good, God would permit it to me. You know what I mean? Like if it was, you know what I mean. So it's like it's it's not. Or even my clothes. It's like the, the thing is, you're saying like you know, even with clothes, it's like. I do want to wear suits like I do, but I want to maybe wear more designer suits in the, in the future. Right now I have like, you know, Israeli suits, you know, which are nice and, and they get the job done. But, um, but the, the, the point is you're saying that the point is you're saying that, um, you know, I want to wear designer suits and that's still very much kosher and, and holy and, 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 and as well. So uh, you don't really lose at anything with Judaism. It's just, you apply it, to a reference to the creator, you know what I mean? No, I really, I really like your answer because a lot of people might feel that if they become more religious, that they lose themselves. But the truth is, is that when you embrace the Torah, you really find yourself and you elevate yourself to a higher level of existence. Okay, we had some technical difficulties there. Rabbi, we're back. I think my last question was, what was the hardest part for you? Um, what did you feel like you had to really give up of the life that you knew? Actually, that's a very good question. You know, the thing, the, the biggest part, the hardest thing it was for me to, the, to get rid of and accept was, you know, like my new life, meaning that like my goals were different. You know, like when I first came to yeshiva, you know, I was like, you know, in my like early 30s. You know what I mean? I wasn't like a 19-year-old, a 20-year-old guy, 23-year-old guy, 24-year-old guy. You know, like I'm, I've worked in a corporate world. I've, you know, done really humongous deals. I've influenced a lot of the culture that the kids that are coming to yeshiva are trying to get away from. You know what I mean? Which is kind of like an interesting thing. And so... You know, and I'm sitting in the class, you know, trying to figure out how to learn a Gemara, right? And, and, and saying, like, okay, wait, why am I doing this? Why am I not just doing another deal in L.A. right now? Why am I not doing another movie? Why am I not finding the next big, you know, whatever? You know, like, why am I sitting here trying to understand what this verse in this Gemara is saying in this Mishnah, Right? Like, what is the mission of trying to tell me? And what is the Gemara? You know, like this whole experience, right? And in in wanting to connect, like it's not like I felt like I was. I wanted to know. I wanted to know how this thing worked. And and being put in between, you know, should I continue on my professional ambitions, or or should I put my time into learning about this wisdom that I've I've uh, invested my life into, and and going through that difficulty and like sitting at at home at the end of learning all day and saying like why am i doing the right thing what should i be doing you know because i ran for congress before i came to israel you know like i was a republican nominee like i was there you know i had a good you know thing you know like it's not even about winning as a republican just being the republican guy in california itself is a place you know and there's a lot of you know things going on around that and um and so, anyway, so I, I was, you know, I, I, I was going to continue that. And, and so, so I had to battle that with myself to say, like, what's more important to me in my future? To, to learn how to learn the Torah in yeshiva or to continue on 
you know, my career ambitions. And uh, I opted to um, focus on my learning, but that was a very um, letting go of my whole career in essence. And, it's amazing. And, uh, yeah. It shows how much I love Hashem. It really does. Okay, so Rabbi, I read that, um, and maybe the article was wrong, but you had some resistance before you decided to convert to Judaism. I mean, you were into it for a long time. You studied at the Kabbalah Center, I think, for eight years. Your whole family did as well, or most of your family. But still, there was a resistance despite all this information, all this knowledge, all this appeal. So my question to you is, what held you back from moving forward? And also, even more importantly, what was the convincing argument to get you over the line? You know, one of the things I'll say is, um, you know, before I converted, I was um, with uh, uh, Rabbi Moshe Hafuta of uh, Dot Torah based in, in Los Angeles. And I spent, you know, a lot of time with him. But a lot of time before that I spent at the Kabbalah and I spent it, you know, with the Rob Berg and, and you know, his kids, Yehuda, and, and, and a lot of people. I grew up with them. I was there for eight years. And one of the things that really affected me when I was there was that the Rob was able to, you know, show this reality of, you know, what the world was in terms of like seeing like how kind of like dark everything was, but at the same time showing this like tremendous potential that existed in the world. So it wasn't about like, oh, just being religious and doing these precepts and, and keeping these laws. It was like, no, like, you want to make your vessel pure so you could go out and affect change in the world and you could bring light into the world and you could bring light where there's darkness and you could transform yourself and these things. And I'm just like, you know, 22 years old, you know, 23 years old hearing this. And I'm like, whoa, this is insane, you know, and this Kabbalah, these meditations and the Zohar and all this stuff. I'm just like, dude, this is like, this is next level, you know, coming from the suburbs. You know, you're, you're, my mom's an academic, you know, everybody, my whole family's a highly educated people. So it's like, it's not like, you know, academia was like some like big deal to me, you know, something to aspire to, you know, it was like, it was, it was much more than that. But the, the point is just saying that, um, um, you know, it was, it was that ability to utilize the spirituality and the directions of the Torah to make your life part of the positive change and contribution in the world. So that, that was the thing that got me in, was to be a part of this positive change. Oh, by the way, you keep Shabbat. Oh, by the way, you have Rosh Hashanah. By the way, you have Pesach. But it was about being a part of this positive change and this holy change of bringing light into the world. And it just resonated with me on such a deep level. So, Rabbi, this is your book. I read it. I loved it. I was truly inspired by it. It's so deep. It's so meaningful. And anyone actually who's searching for the truth, there's a lot to hang on to in this book. But I will start with the cover. I'll start with your name. Before you converted, your name was Sharif. Now your name is Mordechai Yosef Ben Avraham. And in Judaism, we believe that a person's name, their Jewish name, carries their destiny. So why did you pick those names, Rabbi? So so let's start with the, 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 the latter part of it. So Bin Avraham is Bin Avraham is a name that when males 
go through their spiritual transformation um, to, you know, join the Jewish people, to become one with the Torah, one with Hashem, they take on the last name Abraham because Abraham is the, in essence, the, the, the originator of this prototype individual that comes from a place that's seemingly far away from holiness, but, uh, but through a series of experiences in life, becomes attached to holiness, right? Abraham's father, Korach, I mean, I'm sorry, um, um, Terach, 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 sorry. Terach, um, he was like a chief idol maker. Like they were like humongous into idol worship, right? And Abraham became known as a person who fought against idol worship, right? So he came from a particular reality and then he transformed himself to see that reality came from was not, um, you know, it's not kosher, right? And so, so most people who go through the process of joining the people have that Abraham, and if they're a woman, Sarah, you know, experience, right? And and so the name Abraham. So we we take on that spiritual journey, that path, and we link ourselves with Abraham as our father. And so, um, and so Mordechai um, was a name that was you know was suggested to me. Actually, um, when I was at the Kabbalah Center, um, through the Rav, and the name Mordechai is, um, you know, the, the way it was explained to me is like the, the word more, you could break Mordechai into two parts, more and Dechai, right? So more was one of the 11 spices that was used to cleanse the temple. So it's a, more is a mechanism of cleansing, right? And then, but it also has the same gematria as the word sofek, which is which means doubt in Hebrew, right? So this idea of cleansing doubt, right? And dechai in Aramaic means also means to cleanse, right? And so the my my teacher said to me that this name, every time I hear the name Mordechai, that it should remind me and, and it should remove an aspect of doubt that I have about my contribution in this generation. Okay, your book is called Mind of the Black Jew. It's not called A Black Man's View on Judaism. It's not called The Jewish View on Judaism. So both adjectives, black and Jew, they define you, they mean a lot to you. I wanna know how you feel that your experience growing up in America as an African American has actually made you a better Jew. And vice versa. You know, the thing is, is, um, you know, I think, you know, African-Americans have a very, very unique opportunity when it comes to spirituality. Because, you know, one of the things, and this is my personal opinion, one of the things that blocks sometimes the progression of people is culture, right? Because culture kind of creates this kind of like finite articulation of how experiences should go and, and traditions. And these things are very important. You know, these things are very, very important, especially when it comes to practicing the Torah. But I'm saying as, as in terms of world society, there's a lot of different cultures that reject new technologies and innovations because of cultural, you know, outlooks. And so African-Americans, you know, when we're, you know, when we think about it, like we, so much of our identity has been has been a response to the conditions of North America, right? And so 
when it comes to like our relationship with God, we've never really been able to articulate it ourselves. You know, like, you know, Christianity was something that, you know, most of us, you know, our ancestors learned about in the plantation. You know, Islam was something that kind of came as like, you know, in the 60s and 70s, it's kind of like part of like black liberation theology and, and that movement and these types of things. But it was still something that was like Arab, you know, something that was, you know, you're, you had to change your name to Muhammad or Abdullah. You know what I mean? It was like, it was still something over there. And so, you know, the Torah allows a human being to connect directly to God, not to a culture, not to a geographical place, not to, you know, uh, ethnicity or anything directly to God. And not even that, even, and not even saying, even when we learn the Torah, we're not learning the history of the world. We're learning the history of the spirituality of the world. And that's why Adam and Eve are such central characters in the beginning of that, because they were spiritual beings. Oh, we had a technological. Okay, you're there. What were you going to say? Say it again. No, no, no. There was a technological, uh, you know. Oh, there was a glitch. Happened. Okay. Yeah, now we're good. We're good. So, yeah, so I was going to say, like, you know, for the African American experience, the idea of Adam and Eve, right? The Torah is giving us the spiritual, chronological history of planet Earth to show us how we are where we are at today, you know? And it goes all through the, to the Tanakh, to through the, 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 you know, the, the teachings of the, the, the Talmud, you know, all the way to, you know, current day writers, but it's, it's one link to understand the spiritual progression of the world. And so for me, I think for African-Americans, I think Judaism is something that is very, um, you know, uh, intriguing because it allows us to establish our relationship with God as an individual and connect ourselves to the goal of, of the Torah itself, which, you know, has this uh, enveloping idea through, you know, communicate through our sages of world peace and unity and oneness and, and justice and freedom and, you know, all these other types of ideas. Okay. Myself personally, as somebody who tries to bring Jews closer to Judaism, an answer that I often get is, I'm a good person. That should be enough for Hashem. I have a good heart. I'm nicer than a, the religious guy next door and a lot of other religious people I know. So why isn't that justification enough to dismiss the entire Torah and just actually be a good person? It's, it's, two, fact, it's two factors around it. It's, it's number one, if a person says that it matters, if they're a good or bad person, that that thought itself should say, okay, so what does it mean that I am a good person and who am I being good to? And why is it good to be good, right? Why, why does that exist? And maybe someone could say, oh, well, because, you know, you know, I don't want to, you know, break the laws, you know, of the city or the state or the country. And, and another person may say, hey, you know, I believe in the laws of the universe, you know, and, and all that, 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 you know, those things are true. But the idea of, living this life right because we're talking about a lifetime we're saying like am i in this lifetime just to be like a, a good person like is that what i'm here to do just to be and there's nothing wrong with being a good person but like am i in this life for that or is there a different reason why god put my soul into this body into this reality 
right now? Like, what is the reason behind that? Like, what if, what, what, what if, what, what if my, my, I have a whole purpose that I'm supposed to fulfill and because I'm not asking what it is, I'll never find out. And I end up wasting a whole life doing things that I'm not really even supposed to be doing. That things that are not even connected to my purpose, right? So this idea of like saying like, I'm here in this world to do something. My life matters. I'm here to contribute. I'm, I, I mean something. And so my job in this lifetime is to figure out what is the most optimum way to share what makes me unique with the world. And obviously I have to find out what makes me unique in the world. And so the idea of having this spiritual system called Judaism allows us to get there. We're not going to get there spiritually through, I mean, university never claimed to, you know, spiritually transform us. You know what I mean? And never. And much less way. than that. <laughs> exactly. So it's just, it's just saying so that, so, I mean, I get the idea of being a good person in this and I'm saying, even for myself, I said, okay, you know what? I never had to convert to Judaism. Okay. You could, you don't have to convert to Judaism to, to go, to, you, you don't have to convert to Judaism to have a life, to meet your soulmate. You don't have to convert to Judaism to become a wealthy person. You don't have to convert to Judaism to have good health or, or have a, a good family, anything. There's no, you don't need to do that. The, the, the one reason that a person should convert to Judaism and take on the Torah is to take on a spiritual system that's going to allow them to live a life and experience a reality beyond imagination. Okay, so on Facebook, I'm known as the Queen of Questions. I have a few more questions. We can try and gloss over them quickly. You're not born into the Jewish faith. You are born into the black community. And I don't know if growing up, you had certain stereotypes about Jewish people, what you thought they were, how they looked, how they behaved. But today, we are facing a lot of anti-Semitism from the black community, and Kanye West is a, a significant and big vocal example of that. And personally, I feel that if I would sit down with him and have coffee with him, we could be friends and that he would love Jews or I can enlighten him. I, I really think we'd be friends. So somebody who came from a different background, I'm just curious what you think we should do differently. I mean, we've been boycotting people who are anti-Israel, anti-Jewish. We combat them on social media, on real media, but it doesn't seem to be all that effective. And my question to you is, what do you think we could do better? Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, that's, that's another great question. Um, you know, the thing is, on, on that point, the thing we got to keep in mind is that we're not just talking about the Jewish people, we're talking about Israel, the nation state, right? And right okay. now, it, Israel is as a nation state is changing the dynamic of the world it's changing partnerships it's changing how business is being done how money is being transaction you know innovations everything right and so anytime a person or a company or a country anybody anytime you're going up the haters are going to go crazy 
right? Okay. And, 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 and right now, the Jewish people, at the end of the day, are going up with the eighth largest economy. Um, you know, we have one of the highest birth rates in the world. Um, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's, it's a booming time to be a Jew. And so the world sees us and it sees our success. And the success of the Jewish people reminds the non-Jew that a lot of the ideas that they were told about themselves and even maybe their spiritual system is not true, right? Because the basis of Christianity is saying that like, oh, well, you know, the Christians are there because, you know, God left the Jews, right? And, and Islam is there because Islam says, well, you know, God's not with the Christians, right? So if the Jews are saying like, no, God never left us. This is part of the whole thing. We had to go through diaspora. We had to go through this whole, you know, ring around the rosy type situation you know, it end up back in, you know, Eretz Israel and build. And it's like, now you're seeing that. And now that, that's, that upsets you, right? And then you look at all the abuse that all the nations have done, you know, to the Jewish people, you know, that they've done, to, you know, to our ideas, to, you know, our, 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 you know, our way of life, right? And then they have to look at themselves and say, well, either we were wrong the whole time, or we were right, and and we and we're still right, right. And so, as we advance as people, it just it just upsets. It upsets them because they have a narrative of the world, and it's based off of us either not being here or us or us not being successful. And 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 that's why they love you know they 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 you know mainstream society loves Jews when they're not very Jewish, right? It loves Jews right. when we abandon. You know our modesty when we abandon our our values, our morals. You know our our modesty. They are okay with us, but once we, you know, proclaim our identity as being separate than theirs and our goals as being separate than theirs, then we get you know we get ostracized. So I think what we're experiencing now is a very uh, a world that sees the Jewish people going up, seeing the nation of Israel going up, and and it's affecting them on many levels, on a spiritual level, on economic levels. Like, like for example, if there's a peace deal between Saudi Arabia and Israel, you know, Hamas, Hezbollah, Iran, all these different people, they're out of business because they only have strength because they have been able to organize a constituents that agrees with them in the Middle East. But once other countries fall in line and, and money starts talking, those people that they do have are also going to leave. So it's just, it's just, it's it's a very tricky time. So I, I would look at the resistance that we see in college campuses, and in in mainstream society, as just being a, a, an example of people who are confused about the existence and the continued success of the Jewish people. Okay, so another question for you is, is I like to of Jews, bring them back to Judaism, and I know a lot of people who are borderline on the fence, but then they'll say. I have a girlfriend who's not Jewish, or I like lobster, or I like to shop on Shabbat, so don't give me Shabbat, don't give me kosher. It's not for me. So what do you feel is a better driving force than do a mitzvah to get Jews back to Judaism, to get them to take it on more seriously? So, yeah, so, um, you know, you know, in terms of, you know, in terms of, like, you know, Jewish observance, you know, it's, um... It's something that you you have to have a lot of compassion about because you know Jews have been through so much 
Like, and I relate to it as an African American, right? Because, like, if you look at the the whole experience of being African American, and and I'm only gonna, I'm only speaking just from the perspective of the brainwashing, of the dehumanization of us as people, and 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 our attributes. I mean, they used to say that we were unattractive and ugly because we had bigger lips and wider noses and all these other things. This is what happened in North America, right? And so that's why there was such a strong movement with black people saying like, I'm black and I'm proud, you know, because the mainstream world was telling them like, no, you're ugly, you're cursed, you have this bad thing, you're black, it's a terrible thing. And so in that strength to kind of make some sense of reality, I think is something that, you know, the Jewish people, you know, who live in diaspora could, could really gain from is this idea of saying like, hey, you know what? How much has this system and this reality that we've been surrounded by for, you know, thousands of years, how much has it affected us? How much has it affected our connection to ourselves, to our identity, to our self-perception, to our psychology? And, and how does that connect to this experience of, of my Judaism? Because if I, if I say like, hey, you know what, it's not important if I am with a Jewish woman, is that a perspective because that's coming from my place of personal truth or is that a byproduct of the, the conditioning that I've experienced in the diaspora and my family's experience and my family's family's experience, even if they marry Jewish, still those effects of the, the making my Judaism not significant, eating kosher, you know, so that, well, why should I eat kosher? Who cares? Everybody else around me doesn't eat kosher. You know, right. everyone else is doing the things. So why should I do it, right? And so it's like these types of challenges that a person has to ask themselves. And, it, and if I wanted to keep kosher, why does it? Why is it so hard? Why do I feel so much resistance in myself? What is going on with me that this action creates this type of response out of me? What 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 is what what, what potentially can I learn from it? You know, and so. Um, so the, these, these are the things, you know, I mean, but, you know, people have to, um, you can't, you can't convince someone to do something that's, tr that's true to them. You know what I mean? Like you, you can't, you can't convince someone to do something that's true to them. And it's like, you know, when people, when it comes to observance, if somebody wants to learn about it, Okay, then you could give them information. You can say, hey, this is my experiences. This is what I did, whatever. But a person who doesn't want to do it and a person who doesn't want to know, you know, that's where the light of people like ourselves who do keep the Torah, that's us keeping it ourselves and being sincere about it and being basimka and being happy and, and, and projecting positive light into the world. That's where that comes in because the, the, the desire has to be aroused. Right? Like you can't just go the to the person. Has, what? I didn't the hear that part. The desire. Yeah, the, the desire has to be aroused. Right? Like a person has to have a sincere okay. desire to connect. And I think that sincere desire is aroused when people like ourselves are keeping the Torah and we're being sincere and we're treating each other with respect and we're treating each other with love and we're being patient with each other and we, we're accepting that all of us have unique processes of transformation and correction and you know from that space you know we want to um we want to engage with each other right and that light that comes out of that 
can affect our fellow Jew who's far away. And all of a sudden, he automatically, he feel it is, and it's like, how, it, it may not be equatable in scientific terms, but when we do mitzvahs, it, it, it sends an effect and it, and, it, and it protects and it heals and it inspires people in ways that are not calculated by, you know, traditional science. So that, that's where that part. Rabbi, I can't begin to thank you. You're so worth the wait. And I don't know if I let you say everything that you wanted to say. You're welcome to say more on any front. Thank you for your book. Thank you for this interview. And thank you for you. What's the next book you're going to do? You know, the thing is now, what, I, what I'm really thinking about is really doing um, a, a book on my, um, on my spiritual journey. Um, you know, to the Torah, like I really do. I wanted to write more like technical books and academic type books, but I just feel like it's so important to not just write like my life story, but really put it in a context where people, everyone should go on their own spiritual journey. Jewish, non-Jewish says, I think this is the path of world peace and bringing Mashiach is this idea of when people say, you know what? I want to find out what the truth of the world is for me. And they leave the construct that they were presented with to find their construct. Now, they may find overlap or they may accentuate the construct, but they should, everyone should go on their own spiritual journey. And so I want to write my story in a way that empowers people like a manual on how to reassess life and, and to go on, on, on their own path of uh, defining their own truth. Okay, sounds great. If you ever need a ghostwriter, here I am. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you really very much. May Hashem bless you and your family always. And you should only go from success to success. I mean, same to you. Same to you. Same by you. All the best.